Well, there was a recent survey of over a thousand Christians on the topic of temptation, uh, and the survey asked four main questions. The first question was, what is the greatest temptation that you struggle with? Um, the second question are, what are things that hinder you from resisting temptation? The third question was, what are things that help you resist temptation? And the final question was, how often do you encounter temptation? Well, the top five greatest areas of temptation that people taking this survey struggled with were, number one, they listed materialism, two, pride, three, selfishness, four, sexual lust, and five, laziness. Uh, When asked the questions, what are things that hinder you from resisting temptation, the top three answers were neglecting time with God, being physically tired, and peer pressure. When asked the question, what are things that help you resist temptations, the top three answers were regular time with God, avoiding tempting situations, and being accountable to someone. When asked the question, how often do you encounter tempting situations, 97% of those surveyed said every day. You see, the reality for us as Christians is that we are tempted every day. Now, the reason I bring this up is because this morning we're going to be looking at the temptation of Jesus. We're going to see Jesus being tempted by Satan. And we're going to learn a couple things through this. First of all, we're going to learn a few things about how Satan tempts us, which is going to be important for us to understand. But more importantly, we're going to learn how Jesus defeated and overcame the temptations that Satan threw his way. So this morning is going to be very important. It's going to be very applicable to all of us because all of us are tempted every day. Tempted to be selfish and care only for ourselves. Tempted to live only for the things of this life and not the things of God. Tempted to indulge our lusts. Tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we all do. Uh, Tempted to do, and the list goes on and on and on, of things that tempt us each and every day. Now the fact is that when we're tempted, that's not what's wrong and sinful. What's wrong and sinful is when we give in to those temptations. You see, Jesus was tempted, uh, but he wasn't sinful. And the reason he wasn't sinful is because he never gave in to the temptations that came his way. So all of us are tempted every day. And the challenge for us is how do we resist those temptations? How do we overcome those temptations? What can we do to help us resist the temptations that we face each and every day? Well, here in chapter 4 of Luke, we'll be seeing Jesus face temptations, Jesus overcome temptations, and we can learn a lot from his example. So Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at the first 13 verses this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. Well, if you remember back in chapter 3, Luke ends chapter 3 with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. And so now Luke just picks up right where he left off in chapter 3. There's Jesus in the Jordan River right after he's baptized. And we're told now that the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. And he goes into the wilderness and we're told that he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. Now the Greek word here that's translated tempted means to test one maliciously, to entice or solicit to sin, to tempt. 
So the Greek word that Luke uses here is a, a tempting that is specifically seeking to tempt someone to sin. Uh, and that is what we see here from Satan. He is seeking to tempt Jesus to sin. Now, all of us are tempted to sin, but something important to remember is Jesus was as well. And I think the reason that it's important to remember that Jesus was tempted to sin is because he knows what you're going through when you're tempted. He knows how difficult it is to resist temptation. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, I love this verse because it clearly reveals to us that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. He sympathizes with the struggle that you and I have to resist and overcome temptation. And the reason he sympathizes with us is because he was in all points tempted as we are. He went through those temptations. He dealt with those things. He knows what it's like. He knows how difficult it is to overcome them. And so he can sympathize with us. He can look and say, I know how difficult it is. I know what it's like. I've been there before. You know, oftentimes we think since Jesus was sinless that he can't sympathize with what we're going through. Well, Jesus never sinned, so how could he sympathize with the fact that I'm being tempted? Well, just because Jesus resisted the temptation doesn't change the fact that he went through it. He was tempted. He didn't fall into the temptation. He didn't give in to the temptation. He overcame it, but yet he still went through it so he can sympathize with us. He can understand and knows what it's like to deal with the temptations that we deal with. He knows how hard it is to go through those. But you know what? Not only does he sympathize with us, he also knows from personal experience how to overcome temptation. And I think that's even more important than recognizing that Jesus can sympathize with you. He's not just saying, oh, I know how hard it is, but he also can say, you know what? But I also know how to overcome it. I also know how to get past it. I also know how to deal with it. He knew how to say no to temptation because he did it. He knows the strength we needed to resist temptation because he resisted it. He knows how to lead us in victory when we come to temptation because he was victorious over it. So this morning as we look at how Jesus overcame temptation, we're going to see a wonderful example for us and hopefully a good encouragement that we too can overcome these temptations that bombard us, that we so often give into, that we so often think, oh, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to overcome this. I'm never going to be able to deal with this. Well, Jesus' example hopefully will bring encouragement to you and show you how you as well can resist temptation. Verse 2 again says this, Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So for 40 days, we're told that Jesus is out in the wilderness, and the whole time he ate nothing. And Luke tells us he was hungry. Now, this is one of those major understatements in Scripture. Uh, Yes, he was very hungry. Uh, If he didn't eat for 40 days, your body actually goes to a place of starvation. Now, sometimes we use this phrase, 
I am starving. And we sometimes use it after only missing one or two meals. Or, or if you're like me, when I was a teenager, I would eat lunch. And before dinner time came, I'd be like, Mom, I'm starving. When is dinner going to happen? I haven't even missed a meal yet. And I was using this term, I'm starving, which is kind of silly because, you know, none of us have probably ever really been starving. We might have gotten pretty hungry. But when you haven't eaten for 40 days, you are now at the place of literally being able to say, I am starving and actually mean it. Think about this for a second. If you hadn't eaten for 40 days, if you eat three meals a day, that's skipping 120 meals. Can you imagine skipping 120 meals and imagine how hungry you would be? So Jesus' body is at this point of starvation because he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And notice the first temptation that Satan brings to him. He says, if you're the son of God, Jesus... Command this stone here to become bread. Now think about that. Notice that in Satan's temptation, he attacks Jesus where Jesus was most vulnerable physically. Jesus is starving and Satan tempts him with turning stone into bread so he could fulfill that desire of his body that was so hungry and wanting food so desperately. You know, I think something important for us to understand is that Satan loves to attack us when we're physically weak, when we're at a physically weak point in our life. Because when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're sick, it only makes us, uh, not only makes us physically weak, but it also weakens us spiritually. It weakens us to defend ourselves from uh, spiritual attack. And so when we're physically weak, we're usually less concerned about other needs or other dangers that are confronting us. And we often tend to be more vulnerable to anything that might provide relief from our present distress because of our physical weakness. Now, you probably can relate to that. I know when I'm sick, I'm much more vulnerable to the temptation of being selfish. Uh, I'm much more vulnerable to the temptation of getting frustrated and angry uh, when I am weak and when I'm physically tired and exhausted. You know, I, I'm more vulnerable to those things because my physical body is strained. And now when I'm attacked with those things, we, I struggle with it. And I think that's probably true for all of us is when we're physically weak, it makes us more vulnerable to temptation. And because of that, I think it's so important to understand that Satan, he doesn't fight fair. He's going to look for the opportunities that are best for him. He's going to come when you're weakest physically. He's going to come when he attacks you at a place where he thinks he's going to be most likely victorious. And that's what we see here with Jesus. Jesus is at this weak point physically. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. And there Satan comes and tempts him with turning stone into bread. Now, to tempt a man with food after he's been fasting for 40 days seems kind of unfair. It seems like it should be against the rules of temptation since there is no rules. Uh, But, you know, God the Father allows Satan to tempt Jesus in this way because he knows that Jesus can handle it. And there's a very important scripture to remember when it comes to temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, this verse is very important. It shares with us two things about temptation. The first thing that this verse tells us about temptation is that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. 
This is telling us that all of us go through very similar temptations. You know, uh, it's important to understand this because I think oftentimes we like to excuse our particular tempting circumstance and say, you know, this is very unique. This is a special exception. I'm the only one who really goes through this or deals with this. I think Satan loves to convince us that, oh, yes, you're the only one who does that horrible sin. You're the only one who gives in to this temptation. I think he likes to convince us of that because when he does that, we start thinking, yeah, uh, I probably shouldn't tell this to anyone. I probably shouldn't try to, you know, no one's going to understand because I'm the only one who deals with it and no one else would, would ever get it. The reality is many other people are tempted in the exact same ways that we are. I remember when I first got serious in my relationship with God, I, I joined this men's ministry. And, and after the teaching happened, we got into these small groups as men. Uh, and we were just kind of sharing things that we struggle with, things that we're tempted with. And the thing that jumped out to me in this men's meeting was that each one of us were so surprised to hear that other men struggled with the same temptations that we did. All of us were convinced, yeah, we're the only ones who are really dealing with this. And everybody in that group all dealt with the same things. And it was just a a good reminder that, no, I'm not the only one dealing with it. Most people are dealing with these same things as well. I guarantee there are many people here this morning that are going through the same temptations that you are. And many of them have learned and found the way to overcome that. And so if we're not just thinking, oh, it's only me, and we're willing to talk with people, we're willing to get prayer with people, we'll find that we can have help from other brothers and sisters in Christ with the temptations that we face. So the first thing that this verse tells us is that all of us go through similar temptations. And the second thing I think is even more important to understand, it says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to handle. And notice as well, He provides a way for you to escape your temptation so that you can bear it. This is such a wonderful truth about temptation. No matter what temptation you're going through, God always provides a way for you to get through it, a way for you to escape it. But something we need to understand is that God not only provides the way of escape, but he doesn't force us to take that way of escape. He's like, here it is. The temptation's here. Here's the way of escape. I'm providing it for you. But he doesn't force us to take it. We have to make that choice to take that way of escape. We need to understand in every tempting situation that we go through, there's always an escape provided by God, but we have to take it. You know, there have been many times when I gave into temptation that I used the excuse that this tempting situation was just too difficult for me. I just couldn't bear it. I'm sure some of you have used that excuse as well. Oh, oh, if you just knew how tempting this was, you'd realize that I just didn't have any chance. I just couldn't bear going through this. But you know what? When we use that excuse, that goes against what the Bible clearly teaches. This verse tells us that we can bear any temptation if we look for and take the escape that God gives us. You see, our problem is not that temptations are too great for us to handle. Our problem is that we often don't look to God for the escape that he's provided for us. Or we just don't take the escape that's clearly there for us. That's the real issue. God's giving us the way of escape. Too often, we're just not taking it. And when we don't, we almost always fall into the temptation before us. So Satan tempts Jesus as he's physically weak, as he hasn't eaten for 40 days. And that 
is something that God allows because God knew that Jesus could handle it. And so Satan says, Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, I think something important to note about Satan's temptations is that he basically just tempts in three different ways. They might be packaged in different ways. They might look a little different. But ultimately, when you get back to the heart of them, ultimately Satan just attacks us, all of us, in three different ways. And in 1 John chapter 2, we're told what those three different ways are. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The three ways that Satan tempts us is first with the lust of the flesh, second with the lust of the eyes, and third with the pride of life. You know, the first time Satan ever tempted a human being, that's exactly what he did. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, the first time we see Satan come on the scene, he's there with Eve and he tempts her. First, tempts, first Satan tempts Eve with the lust of the flesh, trying to get her to eat of the forbidden fruit. Then he moves on to tempting Eve with the lust of the eyes by telling her, Oh, the day that you eat of this, your eyes will be open and you will be enlightened. And he finishes by tempting Eve with the pride of life, telling her if she eats the forbidden fruit, she's going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And notice in Genesis 3, 6, Eve's response to this temptation. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, she took of its fruits and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So back in the garden, Satan tempted Eve with these three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here in the wilderness with Jesus, we're going to see the same three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the reality for us is these are the three things that Satan uses to attack and tempt us as well. So the first temptation that Satan gives to Jesus is the lust of the flesh. Verse 3, Satan says, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus, you haven't eaten for 40 days. I know you must be hungry, so why don't you fulfill that desire, that craving within you? Your stomach's growling, you're hungry. Hey, just make some bread out of these stones and fulfill that desire of your flesh. This temptation to fulfill the lust of the flesh is a temptation that Satan so often uses and is successful with against us. Hey, you know what? You deserve that pleasure. You deserve that satisfaction. Go ahead and you know, indulge in that fleshly desire. You're worth it, and, and it'll make you feel great. Why should everyone else get this pleasure and, and you miss out on it? He's always trying to convince us to indulge in the fleshly desires that we have. You know, sin, it does bring pleasure. If it didn't bring pleasure, then we wouldn't be tempted by it. But the thing that we need to understand about sin is the pleasure that it brings is short-lived. It doesn't last long. After a short time, that sin that once brought pleasure now starts to bring pain. That sin that once brought pleasure now brings misery to your life, now brings destruction to your life, now brings suffering to your life. I'm sure all of us have experienced this reality of what sin does. I remember back in high school when I started partying, when I started drinking, when I started doing drugs. You know, there was a lot of you know, things that I enjoyed. There was a lot of pleasure that came through that party and lifestyle. But that pleasure didn't last long. 
The drugs, the alcohol, those things soon brought pain, soon brought pain to my relationships with people, soon brought pain to me personally and physically, and it wasn't long to realize that what used to be pleasurable is now painful. What used to be something I looked forward to is now something that causes a lot of misery in my life. You see, Satan wants us to indulge in our flesh, to indulge in the things that bring us that short-lived pleasure, but lasting pain. But notice when he tempts you, he doesn't bring up the consequences of that choice. He doesn't bring up the pain that it's going to bring. He just wants you to focus on the pleasure that's there. Oh, the pleasure, just indulge in it. You're going to have this pleasure. Oh, don't worry about what's going to happen when the pleasure is done. Don't worry about the consequences that come. Don't worry about the pain that's going to come. He doesn't want us to, to think about that because if we do, we probably, you know, would make a, a wiser decision. You see, God wants us to resist our flesh, which will ultimately bring our flesh pain, but it'll be short-lived with lasting pleasure. Satan, on the other hand, he wants us to give into our flesh, which will be a moment of pleasure, but lasting pain. So Satan comes to Jesus with this temptation to fulfill the lust of the flesh. And notice how Jesus responds. This is something very important for us in verse 4. Jesus answers Satan saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus knew that feeding yourself spiritually was much more important than feeding yourself physically. He knew that Satan was tempting him to do uh, was wrong. And because he knew the word of God, he quotes the word of God and resists Satan's temptation. I think it's important to note that with every temptation that we're going to see that Satan throws at Jesus, Jesus responds with, it is written, and then he quotes the word of God. Satan brings something, Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus uses the word of God to overcome the temptations of Satan. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, we're told, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, God has given you and I a sword to fight with, a sword to use against the attacks and temptations of Satan, and that sword is the Word of God. But there's something important to realize about using the Word of God to resist temptation. In order for us to be effective in using the Word of God to resist temptation, there's two things we need to be able to do. First, we have to know the Word of God. If you're ignorant of God's Word, it's not going to do you any good. If you don't know what the Word of God says, then you're not going to be able to use it when Satan brings the temptation. If, if that temptation is there and we don't know, well, actually the Word of God says something very different, then not knowing it is not going to help us at all. You see, the more you know of God's word, then the more dangerous your sword becomes and the more able you are to resist the temptations and the lies of Satan. You know, I think unfortunately a lot of Christians are trying to fight more with a a little butter knife than an actual sword because they know so little of God's word. And so they don't have much to access, much to look upon when the temptations come. So in order for us to be effective with the Word of God, first you have to know it, but even more important than knowing the Word of God is second, you have to obey it. You see, we could know and have memorized Genesis to Revelation. We could have it all in our brain, and when Satan comes and tempts us, we could say, oh, I know that's not what God would want me to do, but I'm still going to do it. 
You see, if we don't actually obey the word of God, it does us no good. If we don't obey it, then knowing it is just, you know, part of the battle. We then have to put it into practice. We then have to do what the word of God says. Jesus is a perfect example of that. He not only knew the word of God, he obeyed the word of God completely. And that is why he was able to use the word of God to overcome Satan's temptations. When we know and obey the word of God, that's when we're going to use it to overcome the temptations Satan brings against us. So Satan tempts Jesus with the lust of the flesh. Jesus responds with the word of God. He knew it. He obeyed it. He was able to resist that temptation. And so Satan fails with this first attempt. The lust of the flesh didn't draw in Jesus. It didn't get Jesus. So now he's going to try with the next one, the lust of the eyes. Verse 5 says this. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you, worship me, uh, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve." So the devil takes Jesus up onto this high mountain. He shows him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, hey, Jesus, all authority over all this stuff's been given to me. And I will give it to you. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world under one condition. You bow down and worship me. Satan couldn't get Jesus to give in to the lust of the flesh. So now he tries with the lust of the eyes. Hey, Jesus, look. And see all these kingdoms of the world. I'm going to give them to you. All you got to do is worship me. Now, it's interesting that God's plan was ultimately for Jesus to get the kingdoms of the world. But in order for Jesus to get them, he had to go to the cross. He had to give up his life. He had to pay the price for our sin in order to buy back us, buy back the kingdoms of the world. And so God's plan was, yes, you're going to have the kingdoms of the world, Jesus, but it's going to be painful. It's going to take you through the cross in order to do that. And ultimately, Satan's saying, hey, I'll give it to you. You can have it. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to go through the pain. You don't have to do all that. You can have it for me right now. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You know, Satan's always trying to get us to look at things His way instead of God's way. He tries to convince us that his way is better, that God's way is worse. Satan ultimately wants us to bypass God's way for his supposed easier way, for his shortcut. He wants us to sacrifice the eternal in order to live for the temporal, to live for now and not worry about the future and the consequences you will receive. Now, if Jesus gave into that temptation, he might have received the kingdoms of the world right then without having gone through the cross. But yet, the future consequences would have been devastating. No one would have ever been able to be saved because their sin would not have been dealt with at the cross. Serving Satan brings temporary rewards and eternal suffering, but serving God brings eternal rewards and temporary suffering in this life. So Jesus responds to Satan's temptation by saying, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Once again, Jesus comes back and He quotes Scripture. This time He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. You say you'll give me the kingdoms of the world if I worship you. Well, God says only to worship Him. And I'm obedient to what God says, and I will not give in 
to your temptation. So once again, we see Jesus responding to the temptation of Satan with the Word of God. Jesus uses the truths from the Word of God and His obedience to those truths to overcome the temptation that Satan brings. So Satan has failed with the lust of the flesh. He's failed with the lust of the eyes. Well, now let's try the pride of life. Verse 9. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had endured every temptation, ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and he says, Jesus, throw yourself off of it. Then he says, for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan is tempting Jesus to do something spectacular, to show how great he is. Jesus, just toss yourself off the pinnacle of the temple here and just show everybody who you are. You know what it says, the angels will catch you. They won't let you hit and and get hurt. And so everyone's going to see how amazing you are. Go ahead and display your glory. Display how awesome you are. So after the first two temptations don't work, notice Satan tries with the pride of life. Jesus, demonstrate how wonderful you are to everybody. But also notice after the first two temptations don't work, he adds something new to the third temptation. He actually quotes scripture himself. He quotes from God's word. Jesus has been using the word of God to resist temptation, and now Satan uses the word of God in order to try to tempt Jesus. Satan tempts Jesus to jump off the temple, and then he quotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12, which basically speaks about angels will protect Jesus. You know, I think something we need to realize about Satan is that he's a Bible expert and he knows how to twist the scriptures in order to try to deceive us, in order to try to tempt us with even what the word of God says, which is taken out of context and twisted. He's great at convincing people to do things by twisting the word of God. Once again, the first time that Satan tempts a person back in the Garden of Eden, he does this. He twists the word of God. In Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan having this conversation with Eve. And and he comes to her and he says, Did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And notice the twist. Because God told Adam and Eve, You can eat of every tree except for one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So you can eat of every tree. There's only one tree you can't eat of. Well, Satan comes over to Eve and he says, Did God say you can't eat of every tree? He twisted just a little bit when God said, no, actually, you can't eat of every tree, just one. You can't, but he wants to kind of twist God's word. But he doesn't get Eve with this one. Eve responds. She understands. She says, you know what? We can't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, for God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. She said, no, 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 it's not every tree. It's just one. And if we eat of that one, God's told us we'll die. Well, now, once again, Satan responds by twisting God's word. He says, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat that fruit, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So Satan twists the word of God. He convinces Eve that God's word's not true, that she doesn't have to trust God's word. And ultimately, she falls for that temptation. 
You know, I think the sad truth is that many people today will accept anyone who quotes a Bible verse as teaching God's truth. But the mere use of Bible words does not necessarily convey the will of God. Satan is a master at taking uh, scriptures and twisting them, taking them out of context to mean something very different than what God intended them to mean. And so just because someone uses scripture doesn't mean that it's biblical, doesn't mean it's right. We should always look back at the word of God, look at it in context, and make sure what's being said is biblical and right. Well, Jesus responds to Satan's temptation by saying, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus answers Satan's misuse of the word of God once again by quoting scripture. This time he quotes Deuteronomy 6.16. As Jesus rejects Satan's twisting of scripture, he rightly divides the word of truth. He understood the context. He understood that Satan was using the scriptures in a wrong way, and so he corrects that. I think this is another important thing we see here about Jesus. Not only did he know the word of God and obey the word of God, but he was also rightly able to divide it. He knew it in its context. He understood it the way that he was supposed to. I think a really great passage of scripture, a good challenge for us, is 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, if you want to overcome temptation, this is something that's so important for all of us to be able to do. Not just knowing the word and obeying the word, but actually rightly dividing it, studying it in its context, understanding what it says. And so when Satan brings his lies and tries to twist the scriptures, no, 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 Satan, you're just taking that verse out of context. Actually, in its context, this is what it means, because I'm someone who studies and rightly divides and really knows what the Bible says. And that's something that is a great challenge for all of us, that we're not ashamed that we're rightly dividing the word of truth, that we spend lots of time personally studying the Bible to make sure we know it so that we can overcome the temptations that come our way. Well, Luke ends this section in verse 13, and notice what he says. I think this is so important to to learn about Satan. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, you could look at this and think, ah, Jesus was victorious, Satan you know, got defeated, and now it's all over. Yeah, Satan got defeated, he tempted three times, Jesus resisted all of those, he didn't fall for those temptations, and so we're told that not Satan went with his tail between his legs, running away and thinking, oh, I'll never defeat this person. Notice what we're saying, it says, he leaves until an opportune time. You see, Satan's always waiting. We might be victorious in one battle, but he's waiting for an opportune time to come attack again. And we see throughout Jesus' life, Satan didn't stop. He kept attacking. He kept coming. He kept trying to tempt and defeat Jesus. Jesus never gave in to those temptations, but Satan didn't stop. Andrew Bonner says, Let us be as watchful after the victory as we are before the battle. I think that's great advice because, you know, we're usually before Satan comes, we recognize we're in a spiritual battle. We try to keep ourselves on guard and then we're victorious. And oftentimes when we're victorious, we're like, whew, I did it. And then we kind of just let down our guard. All right, Satan's gone. I'm victorious. And we let down our guard and he's just looking for the opportune time. They let down their guard and now I'm going to come. And maybe you're sick and maybe you're stressed and maybe you're not feeling well. As we already noted, when we're physically not doing well, he loves to get in there in that opportune time to try and tempt us again. Recognize he's not going to stop. He's not going to stop trying to tempt you. He's not going to stop this battle. The only time he's going to be stopped is when Jesus 
comes and stops him, but until that time, he's always going to be trying to get at you, trying to be victorious over you. I think two great ways to stay on guard against Satan's attacks are found in Matthew's gospel. Jesus tells us in chapter 26, verse 41, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, it's interesting, Jesus says this to his disciples. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He's there and he's praying. This is the, the, one of the worst times for him personally. And all he wants is his fellow disciples to pray with him. And you know what they're doing when he's praying? They're sleeping. And he comes to them and he says, Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus gives us two good challenges. The first challenge that we should do is we should be watchful. We should always be on guard. We should recognize that the enemy is seeking to attack us, and so we want to always be watchful and not let our guard down. But the second thing he challenges us with is pray. Come and ask God to help you with the temptations that are coming your way, to help you to overcome them. You know, it's very interesting to me that right after this happens, we see Peter deny Jesus three times. And I've always wondered, you know, if Jesus, if Peter, instead of sleeping, was watching and praying during this time, if there would have been a very different outcome for him. If when the temptation came to deny Jesus, it would have been very different if he was there instead of sleeping, he was watching and he was praying and he was asking the Lord to help him overcome the temptations he was about to face. The Spirit's willing. He wants us to overcome our temptation, but our problem is our flesh is weak. Our flesh wants those things. It desires those things, and so we have that to combat each and every day. We're tempted, and our flesh says, ooh, let's do it. That looks good. I want it. The Spirit says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't go there, and we have this battle between the flesh and the Spirit, and who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to rely upon? Jesus knew the word of God in context. He was obedient to it, and it enabled him to overcome Satan's temptation. If we're going to follow this great example of Jesus and this encouragement that, you know what, we can overcome the temptations that we face, we need to recognize we need to know the word of God, we need to study it, know it, rightly divide it, and then most importantly, put it into practice, obey it. Because knowing it, rightly dividing it, knowing what it says when the temptations come, if we don't actually take that and use it and obey it, it doesn't do anything for us. We also need to be watchful and we need to pray.